Hello, Distiller listeners. Just a quick reminder that you can find every episode of The Distiller, along with photos, links, and more information on our website at thedistillerpodcast.com. If you're enjoying these conversations about meaningful work, please spread the word by following us and liking and sharing our posts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And finally, if you'd like to help support The Distiller, just click the Become a Patron button on the website to learn more about how you can help us keep it going. Thanks. I met John Cryer, the actor, once. He was doing a project with NASA, and he's like, wow, your job must be really cool. I was like, well, every day I put on pants and talk about space, so not so bad. I'm Brandon Dawson, and this is The Distiller, a podcast about how we find meaningful work and how we find meaning in the work we do. My guest for this episode has perhaps the most interesting resume of anyone we've featured on the show. Lauren Worley is currently the global newsroom leader at Procter & Gamble. I say currently because as of our recording, she's only been in that role for a few weeks. So most of our conversation focused on her previous roles at little shops that you've probably never heard of, like NASA and the One Campaign. Lauren is a whirlwind, a ball of energy, and as she describes, she's someone who's all in on everything she does. Yes, she's had some amazing jobs, but she's also dealt with a lot of transition and uncertainty, including the personal fallout of holding a politically appointed position and waking up to find a new administration in power and herself out of a job. The double-edged sword of high-visibility work is high pressure and often high turnover. And we talked with Lauren about how she deals with those elements and about making a career of being the voice of other people and organizations, all while forging a career path that is uniquely her own. Lauren and I met at the absolutely beautiful Cherbourg Cypress Bakery on Race Street, just off Cincinnati's historic Finley Market. Cherbourg is sort of like an authentic French patisserie with a twist. It's entirely gluten, nut, and dye free, but you'd never know it. And over a coffee, and some delicious treats. We talked about work, uncertainty, and the importance of relentless optimism. So here is my conversation with Lauren Worley on The Distiller. All right. Well, cheers. Cheers. Thank you for joining me on a Friday afternoon. Thanks for having me here. This is great. All right. Now, look, normally I start by uh, asking people to tell me what they do. I want to start by reading a list of just your jobs within the last 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't even go. So we, if we, we started in 2009. Life began in 2009. Good just Lord. So, you know, some people think the world began. You no, know. yours. your list begins because if we went before that, we could go on forever. Yeah, but and we have I, an hour together. I'm so excited to talk to you because I feel like, huh, maybe you and I have something in common about um, career. Trajectory? Trajectory. I love the word trajectory. Or, yeah. Or uh, anyway. So 2009, chief of staff for the office of the Ohio lieutenant governor. 2009-2010, Deputy Campaign Director for the Fisher for Senate race. 2011, President and CEO of Energy at Work Strategies and Solutions. 2011-16, to 16, Press Secretary and Senior Advisor for NASA. Hello. 2016-17, Artist and Talent Director for the One Campaign, which people don't know is Bono's uh, campaign for, for poverty and preventable mm -hmm. disease. And then 2017 to 2020, Chief Communications Officer for Cincinnati Public School District. Yeah. And now you've just sort of had a little shift and now you're in a Now new I'm the role. global newsroom leader for Procter & Gamble. Good Lord. That's crazy, isn't That's it? That's an amazing 10-year resume. Yeah. So let's start off with, is there a common thread? Thank you. Thread? Thank you, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That. That's 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 nice. A super impressive run of wonderful, mm -hmm. super interesting jobs. Yeah. But what's the common thread? The common thread, if I had to to think about that, is that, well, let me tell there's a little blip in time that I don't have necessarily have on my resume. I spent about a month living on the Navajo Reservation in Arizona. Okay. Where in, where uh, in Arizona? It's in, it's in northeast Arizona. It's about an hour and a half or so from Albuquerque. Like so near Page? Yeah. Uh, is Arizona Northwest. near air anything? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Everything in Arizona is hours right, from right, other right. places, right? Okay. So, um, and I did that because I wanted to hit the reset button for myself and get back in touch with what Seems I wanted to do. Seems like a good way to do that. Um, I, my NAS experience was awesome and amazing, but I was usually traveling anywhere from two days to two weeks a month. And similarly with the one campaign, it was a lot of travel, a lot of, a lot of, I had a teammate in South Africa, a teammate in London, a teammate in LA. So it was just a lot of, um, 
it was awesome. It was yeah, all yeah. great. But yeah. I wanted to set. I wanted to say, am I doing what I want to be doing now at age right. forty and that kind of thing? Yep. And so nothing gets you harder than no air conditioning, arid desert, and lack of Wi-Fi. Yeah. So I highly <laughs> recommend that for anybody who's looking to. Uh, and of course, you don't, there's no alcohol on the reservation. So uh, so there's all those things. How right? long were you there? I was only there a month. If I'd gone in the winter time, I would have stayed longer. But I was there in wow. June, July, and. Yeah. I can testify that's really warm. Um, but what that allowed me to do was kind of cut through the clutter of what what we many, many times we put value on our work and ourselves based on what others people's perception is of our yeah. our work. And if you live yourself live your life making decisions that way, you may not make the best decision for yeah, yourself. Yeah. And I'm sure there were a lot of people who were like, I can't believe you're leaving Bono to go live on the, in Navajo land for a right. month. Um, and then you're going to work at public schools. Like that probably doesn't make sense to all people. But for me, what the common thread, which was the original question, is where can I be in this moment and use my passion and energy mm. to make this place a little bit better? Awesome. And so far that's worked for me. I haven't set out to say I'm going to be, you know, chief of staff to lieutenant governor and then in 10 years I'm going to be the global newsroom leader at Procter and Gamble. Like mm -hmm. I, I probably if it I had done that course. that yeah. was not that was not a charter course. It was more like how can I use the time and energy that I have right now and 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 put all of that and my friends will tease me cuz they like they're like you're all in Worley. Like <laughs> whenever yeah, I do yeah. something I am completely in it. I immerse myself in it. I become one with it. And and so to do that you also have to recharge. You have to be really respectful right. of your your own boundaries and that's something I think I've learned with work to be very mindful. Mm. Mindful of in order to be that whole and complete person I have to step back sometimes. Yeah. And and that's hard to do. Well, here's the thing. So we're going to like, you know, there's a list of potential questions. This is for me the last question on that list. Yeah. Is how does somebody, because I've read some interviews with you. I watched the mm -hmm. Creative Mornings talk that mm -hmm. you gave. I get the sense that you have a strong vibe and contribution that you bring to these. Mm -hmm. but, but the other thing that I see that I think if I was doing these jobs and, and in the work that I had, you know, I said we've got some mm -hmm. common threads. But the thing that I wrestle with in the work that I do is how do I bring my own voice when I'm telling somebody else's story? Mm, yeah. And, and it seems like you've kind of been doing that from mm -hmm. the start, is you've been taking people's story and amplifying it and telling it for them in this amazing way. Do you feel like your story comes through, or is that even a, yeah. a question for right. you? Right. Gosh, wow, Brandon, that was like, <laughs> that was an awesome question. Because I haven't really thought about it that way. But 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 the, I guess when you're whether you are working on products or you're telling the story of, of why people should love their public school or mm -hmm. love the universe and explore the universe or a po political candidate or right. office. It's, that thread is authenticity. Yeah. And authenticity means um, you are yourself in that moment. Mm -hmm. And people know that you're being truthful and honest with them. And when you are transparent and when you make decisions and when you clue people into how you make decisions, you create an environment around you where people have trust. Mm -hmm. And they may not always agree with you, but they know where you're coming from. And right. so when we think about work environments and we think about emerging work environments, more and more people are working from home, right? They're, or they're working co-working spaces, yep. or they're definitely working all the time. Yeah. I feel like people are working all the time. And uh, that means they're, they're in your environment. You are your environment right. for working. The environment and so, you create and so is, you have to create that environment yeah. for your for yourself. And I think but I think the most important thing is to have that judgment barometer about what you think is is acceptable and not acceptable or what you think is a good story. And I, and just being around people I, like will give you that too. Right, but the right. universe is awesome. I mean, that's the story is space, right? <laughs> like when we think about telling stories about space. We say this all the time at NASA. We don't spend money in space. All that money is spent on Earth right. by people doing people stuff right. or building things or training robots to do something. And so there's a human 
element in all aspects, even if we're talking about asteroids or the word cloud or right, right. comets or whatever. It all starts with people and relationships and yeah. those questions. And yeah. ultimately, I think the exploration piece is to give meaning to the human experience. It's all about giving back at home. meaning life on Earth. In fact, yeah. I was just giving a presentation the other day, and one of my favorite—I like to show two pictures every time I give a presentation, and probably— Luckily for me, no one's, you just rattled off my resume for the last 10 years. So no one's had to see these presentations over and over again because right. I don't stay anywhere long. I guess I'm like Mary Poppins like that. You know, I kind of, I come in where needed and then, and then, then umbrella carries me off to the next place. But, but. Which is a great way to see it. I do think of myself as Mary, because, mm-hmm. because um, they interviewed a lot of nannies for that role. And then here right. comes Mary Poppins. And here's the great thing. Mary Poppins blew everybody else away too. She was like. Listen, listen here. But I'm she here also to... wasn't there forever. No. She was there for a minute to do a thing. Uh-huh. And then she moved on to do her thing. Yeah, and she did. And, but, and when she was there, she was completely in the... I mean, Mary Poppins wasn't applying for their nanny jobs while she was with the Banks children, <laughs> right? She was all in on all the in. Banks family. Yeah. And then when the Banks family didn't need her anymore because they could take her themselves, Mary Poppins... And she wasn't troubled by that. No. See, that's the thing I think I... Think I when I look at sort of my resume and the way I've moved through th- some things, I think sometimes I have... I've blamed myself or questioned myself for moving on mm. or not being able to settle somewhere or not being able to have one thing. I like that illustration because it's like, no, I, would, I was there for a little season. I did the thing I was supposed to do for that season. I moved on. Yeah, for did, myself I, and for them. I did the LeBron. I took my talents Elsewhere. to South Beach. Yeah, yeah. And I was so mad when LeBron left and went to Florida. I was so mad. Well, you're an Ohio native. Yeah, I'm an Ohioan, so I was. Yeah. But I didn't feel the same way when he went to L.A., Right. And isn't that interesting? Because he just kind of established that that was his deal. Yeah. And I felt like he had done right by us in Ohio. And well, still and, is. And in the meantime, not to take us off topic, in the meantime, while he played elsewhere, he invested in the community in mm-hmm. Cleveland and did the real work that was much more important than whether or not I was that playing That is his lasting team. legacy. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, so let's go back a little bit and talk about, like, how do you get these jobs? Mm-hmm. How do you start off... In Ohio. And, and, you know, you started in politics, so I can see a beginning trajectory toward getting into sort of the press and PR Mm -hmm. role. But then how do you go from the the deputy campaign manager for a U.S. Senate campaign to press secretary for NASA? Like, literally, how does that job come across your radar? And how do you decide I'm going to try to go get that job? That's what's so great is that you have to go back just that much more in time. Because when we... First of all, I was the five-year-old who asked my parents to take me to Washington, D.C. for my sixth okay. birthday. So right. so I have always been... To the Air and Space to, Museum. Uh, to the Air Space Museum and to... I wanted to see the Capitol. I bought a book at the Bookmobile. Remember, I still got it. Washington, D.C., all right the on. sites. Okay. I was always interested in politics and government hmm. since I can remember. And I asked my mom why she thinks that is, and she just threw up her hand. She said, I have no idea. I have no idea wow. why, why you like that so much. Mm-hmm. Um my parents were teachers, and they, of course, they were in the teachers' union things, but they weren't political, right? right, you know? right, right. But I love campaigns, and I love rallies, and I love parades, and I love wearing stickers, and, and I would do that all the time as a kid. And uh, when I was in fourth grade, when Michael Dukakis ran for president, <laughs> and I ran the class campaign, my fourth grade teacher like remembered this recently. She's like, you got one other kid to vote for Michael Dukakis. And I was like, that was about... Exactly how many votes right, you got. Right, exactly. I did about as well as his actual campaign <laughs> I did, did, I did, in 1988. Yes. And so, but I also, in 1988, we had a school newspaper, and everyone writes whatever they write for the school newspaper. I wrote an article about the bond levy failing for our school district oh as a fourth God. grader, right? So, <laughs> so Fourth grade wonk. Yeah, I was really just a nerd and, and worried and That's, concerned and oh. had this kind of like, I have to do something. Right. And if I don't do something, wow. who else is going to do something? And... And I don't know what books I must have read as a kid or, or who... Are your parents like, real serious people? Or are they... Not particularly. I mean, they're really good people. Yeah, and they yeah. were school teachers, super involved um, in everything, never missed anything that I went to. But my mom will say, she remembers me coming home and saying, I just don't know what I would do if I got a B. And that was first grade. <laughs> and my mom's like, well, you'll probably just live your life. And be fine. And be fine. So it wasn't like they had these... No, this was you. ...big expectations yeah, for yeah. me. And... Um, so the drive comes internal. All right. I'm an extrovert, but yet, you know, and introverts usually generally get their energy from within. Mm-hmm. But I think some of us are so extroverted that we are introverted. We get our energy from somewhere special. So always doing campaigns and politics. Wanted to be a medical doctor, actually. Studied right. all kinds of science. Mm-hmm. Um, and took an internship at the hospital and found out pretty quickly that I can't do 
the smells and sounds of oh, hospitals. Really? Okay. We'll leave it at that. Since it's a podcast, we can do that. <laughs> and um, so my anatomy teacher at high school was like, you know, you've always loved radio. Why don't you think about going into radio or journalism? Okay. And so applied to Kent State pretty much on a, well, Kent State seems far enough away from home. That'll, that'll work. Mm-hmm. Um, and for people here in Cincinnati, my very first day, I met Kevin Necessary uh-huh. in journalism school. Kevin now is editorial cartoonist for The Inquirer, which is a lifelong dream of his as well. Um, and Chris Wetterick, who is the um, political writer for the Business Courier, we all met in the, they were friends in oh, high school. Great. I met them the first two days of school. How cool. So... I met my tribe like right away yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. people who likewise saw injustice places and wanted to do something about it. Journalism's mm-hmm. one way mm-hmm. to do something about it, which is why I majored in that and what got me into writing and that type of thing. But I felt like I really had to take it just a little bit for, I didn't want to write about potholes needing to be filled yeah. on Hamilton Avenue. I wanted Bigger issues. to take care of the potholes in Hamilton. I'm like, why don't we just go get them filled? And so right. that's what kind of drove me toward the political side. So working in campaigns and politics, I feel like, Political campaigns is one last meritocracy. It's yeah. actually how if you work hard and you're and you and you're you know get there early and do the things. Well, that the campaigns done. themselves are the results of the campaigns. Maybe maybe not so. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean you have to be all in. Yeah, you cannot yeah. be thinking of election. You got to sprint through election day, right. and you can't be like, oh, what am I going to do next? Right. If you're really into it. And that's why campaigning's hard. That's why it's a young person's game, yeah, yeah. really. Yep. Um, but um, so I had I had then interned at the Democratic National Committee when I was a senior in, in college, um, and then took some political jobs here in Ohio, and worked on that U.S. Senate campaign in 2010. And we were all in. We worked really, mm. really hard, um, but we weren't successful. And so mm. I didn't know what I was going to do next. Um, losing campaigns are like the hardest. It has oh, to be yeah. the same as like I'm not I'm not lost a business. But right. I have to imagine it's got to be very similar to that. So I did start my own business. I was terrible at it. I was really great at rainmaking. I was really great at getting clients. Uh-huh. It was really hard then to go in that night and spend 12 hours doing all the stuff. You just sold those clients yeah. on what you could do. Yeah. So um, I really admire anyone who hmm. can do that because to have the idea and what you can sell and then to actually do all that is... So we should... Att- we should- Join forces because I started a business with some friends. We had mm-hmm. that part of it down. What we didn't have was the part that you that oh you the rainmaking part. Oh, going yeah. out and get oh sure sure I'll go get you clients <laughs> and my friends here will now take you over and they will make your business make a million bucks. So I did that for a little while and I just my heart just wasn't in it and so I reached out to pretty much everyone I knew and mm-hmm. said hey I'm looking for a job and turns out I reached out to my first internship advisor and he's okay. like hey you know. Uh, you were a great intern, right? And because you're all in, mm-hmm. you know. And he said, uh, well, I've been, he was now the White House liaison at NASA. And he was looking, they've been looking for a press secretary. That's amazing. And it's a political appointment. So mm-hmm. they were looking for people with, you know, my kind of chops. And he's mm-hmm. like, you do press, right? I'm like, I'm about to tell you I'd do anything. Because we're talking about, <laughs> this, I was like, space agency, right? Like, we, right? <laughs> we're talking about the yeah. same place. And I said, if they talk to me about that job for 10 minutes, I will talk about that for the rest of my life. Right. And it turns out, um, you know, I kind of had the experience they were looking for. I had a lot of experience having worked in the Department of Development on jobs, small business mm-hmm. stuff, which is a lot of what NASA does. We, we think of, you know, galaxies and stars and planets and things. But like I said, everything we do is on Earth. Right, so, right, right. Um, and, uh, and, of course, they were like, well, you're from Ohio. Wright Brothers, John Glenn, Neil Armstrong. You'll be fine. You've got the pedigree. And I was, you know, yeah, sure. Okay, I'll be fine. <laughs> it was an amazing experience. Um, and that's, again, I couldn't have projected that my experience being an intern of the Democratic National Committee would turn into a job at NASA someday. I didn't even know that those jobs mm-hmm. existed. But my theory of, of professionalism has been put yourself completely in that job while you're there and mm. those those opportunities open up and the other thing that a good friend of mine said to me once and he's a life coach now which makes tons of sense is he said you know when your hands are full you cannot accept a gift mm. and often times it's so when people say oh you should always look for a job while you have one mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure you can I'm not sure I subscribe to that because that's one of the reasons I took the sabbatical in Navajo land was to say I'm going to get away from everything I'm doing right now so I can clear 
No, right. and I had to be happen to be in a financial situation where I could do that. I was yeah. single, um, so I didn't have you know. Yeah, it's not always possible. It's not always when possible, you can. but when you can or give yourself the space mentally to do that, you start to then your hands are then open to accept the gift that mm. the universe gives you, and that's whether you're a spiritual person or a science person, it doesn't matter. Every, all the energy that's ever existed in the universe existed at the Big Bang. Yep. And the energy still exists. And I give you energy and you give me energy and that's how physics works. Mm -hmm. And so I have to put that energy that I wish to receive out into the universe if I'm expecting to receive that. And so, you know, it, it's hard to hold back from that negativity at work sometimes. Yeah. But back to that, we really have to create the environment in which we want to live. If I don't want people to be snarky and silly with me, I cannot be that way with them. Mm, I have right to on. give them the energy that, that I'm yep. wanting back. And that's back to that all-in yeah. all in thing. Yeah. Let's take two seconds because I feel like I would be remiss on just like geeking out a, <laughs> a little bit about the NASA job. Oh, yeah. Bef before we move on. Yeah. Like, uh, what, what do you actually do as the press secretary for NASA? You and put on pants. How and <laughs> freaking cool is it? Like, what are the great parts of the job? Do you get to go to the launches? Yeah. Do you get to, okay. Yeah. Like, there's got to be, you know, there's the job. There's yeah. the just doing the job, and that's the same everywhere. Mm -hmm. What's the stuff, what are the moments on that job where you sort of pinched yourself and said, no, but I'm actually right here? Yeah, right now. Yeah. And that's what's so amazing about space to me. And why, even though I haven't worked for the space agency since 2016, I still do a lot of space talks. I talk, anytime someone has kids that want to talk about space, I carry, like, a, a NASA coin around in my purse. And mm. every time I see a kid with a NASA shirt on, like, at a restaurant, and they look yeah. bored with their parents, I go talk to the kid. <laughs> their parents probably think I'm an absolute weirdo. But I'm like, I see a kindred spirit here. Right. Um, I, I met John Cryer, the actor, once. Uh -huh. He was doing a project with NASA. And he's like, wow, your job must be really cool. I was like, well, every day I put on pants and talk about space. So, yeah, it's pretty... <laughs> not pretty, so bad. Not so bad. Um, <laughs> and that's what I, what I did. Uh, kind of carved out the job a little bit. I had a... As I said, I have a political appointment job. So... Um, talk, talk for a second yeah, about what that so means. So the president has a lot of people who works for him. Mm -hmm. Some people he knows personally. Some people people he knows personally. He knows someone personally, then hires them. That yep. was me. Okay. Uh, so like 100 layers referral. down. Referral. Um, so there's about 5,000 of those people in government. All and right. they go from being administrators to NASA to, you know, deputy undersecretary of this or that to the Bureau of Underground Storage Tank Removal or whatever these jobs are. Mm -hmm. Department of Interior has a lot of them. Um, Department of Defense has a lot of them. NASA has 18. So okay. um, out of 18,000 employees. So I was selected for that job because of my press background, but also because being from a state like Ohio with a NASA center here, yep. that piece of it. Um, so my job then was to do White House communications every day. So mm -hmm. I reported to the White House communications team what the NASA communications team was up to. So okay. if we had a major launch or something went wrong yep. or um, you know, anything. And, of course, we've had humans living in space on the International Space Station for 16 years. Right. So that was generally my report every day. We're still living and working in space. Here's what's going on. Uh, here's what's going on with that. Um, and then I worked for the administrator. So and the deputy administrator. So I did press opportunities for them. So I would travel with them, mm -hmm. create opportunities. If they were traveling internationally, sometimes I would travel with them. Sometimes I would just do the do the legwork working. Okay, we're going to talk to this classroom. There'll be this reporter Is there. Is this the advance work, setting up yeah, the interviews, absolutely. all that kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah, that kind of stuff. Working with reporters, getting that kind of thing. And the okay. great part about doing space is, you know, you would still get political questions I mean, space is political. You know, we're going to have a 70-ton rocket or a 90-metric-ton rocket or whatever. But for the most part, that was what was really... I mean, so my first launch I got to see was the Curiosity rover. Hmm. It was over Thanksgiving 20, uh, 2011. So I'd only been there a couple months. I went down to thanks, uh, over Thanksgiving holiday. I didn't... I kind of, for the most part, knew my coworkers by first name at this yeah, point. Yeah. I've only been there a couple months. And, Where were you working? Um, I was based in D.C. Okay. Um, and then, but all of our launches um, take place at the Kennedy Space Center for the most, I should say, for the most part they yep. do. We also do some in California. But um, what was remarkable is here we're launching this thing. I didn't know what to expect. I'd never seen a shuttle launch. I'd never seen anything. And first you see it, and it's the brightest light you have ever, ever What are you, seen. two miles away? How far away are about you? About a mile, okay. about a mile, in the mm -hmm. VIP area. You about a mile away. <laughs> right. I don't know how VIP it is then when something goes wrong, but... <laughs> yeah, when you're close enough <laughs> to close enough. feel it. Um, yeah, and so you see it, and it's the, uh, the brightest light you've ever 
seeing. And then a few seconds goes by and then you can hear it. Mm-hmm. And that's the dissonance right there where yeah, you're yeah, seeing yeah. something up here, but you're hearing where you think it should be down here. Yeah. And then a few more seconds goes by and you can and feel, you feel it. it. And you feel it in your chest and then you cry. Or maybe oh, you laugh. Wow. Or but it, it's that thing that just evokes emotion. An overwhelming. From you. It's overwhelming. Visceral. Yeah. And that's different than doing press for any other thing because everyone at that moment is looking up and hoping there's no reporter being like, Well, I wonder how much those widgets cost. Yeah, at that moment anyway. In you're in that moment together and you're thinking how about cool. the possibility and how Literally thousands of people came together to like make this thing. And scientists who've worked their whole careers yeah. have hung their hopes on those engineers getting that launch, you know, those rocket scientists getting yeah. it right. And it's just such a celebration of humanity in that moment that there's just, I can't. And the I height of human achievement. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I Every can't. single one of those launches represents like a triumph of human achievement. It does. I cannot think of another example. Yeah. It, where. Maybe the Olympics, right? When right, the sure. kind of thing, but that's more of a competition. This is a, this is a, we did this together, and yeah. I'm, I'm just tweeting about it, and I feel like, yeah, we did it, <laughs> yeah, here we are, we're on Mars, um, and that's the great thing about that work environment too. Being a civilian agency, everyone is so. I could, I was just blown away by how generous they were with their knowledge and how. Mm. So I, expe- I don't know what I guess I expect to go in there and everyone be kind of snooty and and well, you just got to catch up and da-da-da. no mm. one left. I remember one day getting off the, ele- I was on the elevator with the head of planetary science. I like to say the director of the solar system because that sounds a little <laughs> bit better. But head of pl- pl- planetary science. And we just made an announcement that morning. He had a salad in his hand. And I said, something you said at the press conference today, I didn't understand. And he got off the elevator to explain it to me. Right. You know, to help you understand. Just, and he was just so exuberant and, and wanted me to understand the thing that he was so passionate about. And I thought, well, if I can continue that little Fancy bits of magic that other people have given to me in that four and a half years I got to be there with school kids or or whatever. That's that's something I'm I'm supposed to keep getting. Why is that true of NASA? Because I think everybody's experience of NASA is wonder and and Mm. the the possibility. And there's so many other things that contain human achievement and contain a great degree of wonder that have either been so uh, uh, celebritized or mm. so um, it, it imbued with competition that they all have this sort of jadedness. And somehow NASA, despite the politicization and all of this other things, retains this wonder. Is it just space? Is, that, is it as simple as that? Maybe. I, I think there is something there with the teamwork component. And even though when I was there, we had implemented the end of the shuttle program. So mm-hmm. I started right after you know, this iconic 30-year program was ended. Right. And even, even with that, we voted, our employees voted us the best place to work in government the whole time we were there. And I think there's a lot about, my boss said to me, Charlie Bolden, Char, you, could, you could do a whole podcast on Charlie Bolden, how amazing he is. Charlie was one of the first eight African-Americans in the Naval Academy. He was rep- appointed by a member of Congress whom he never met mm. from Chicago wow. um, because Strom Thurmond and mm-hmm. I forget the other guy who was a Democratic senator from down there, neither would appoint him, mm-hmm. give him an appointment. He did 100 combat missions in Vietnam as a fighter pilot. Then he was recruited in the second class of astronauts. He flew four shuttle missions, piloted the shuttle twice, commanded it twice. Then he retired as a 34 two-star Marine general. Good grief. 34 years career. He flew everything just about in his command. So he flew just about everything. And then he became the first permanent African-American head of NASA. And this kid from Ohio became his press secretary. And I asked uh, Charlie on my first day with him, what do you want, you know, your legacy to be at NASA? And I'm expecting him to say, we're going to find aliens on Mars, or Mm -hmm. we're going to launch this, or we're going to do that. And his answer was frankly underwhelming to me. He said, I want my people to know I care about them. Wow. And I was not blown away by that answer at the time. <laughs> Hot shot, young Lauren Worley, who's, you know, fresh yeah. into D.C. Charlie, do you, you want know, a second try at yeah, that? Yeah, like, what? What? You uh-huh. want your people to know you care about them? I mean, it didn't until I started to go on trips with him. Hmm. And we'd be in the cafeteria at Johnson Space Center, and people just, Charlie! And they all called him by first name, and he hmm. seemed to know everyone. And, you know, there's 18,000 employees, 60,000 contractors that work for NASA, and I don't think I ever went anywhere where no one knew exactly who he was and seemed to have some kind of personal story with him that he seemed to have remembered. Like, uh, and, and I thought this 
with one person, and he can't do it all. He's but 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 knowing that they have a boss who right. looks out for them every single day. That would be my advice to anybody who's a CEO of a five-person company or a company as big as the one I work for now. That like if your people know that you care about them. They will go that mile for you. And Richard Branson says this all the time. If you take care of your employees, they will take care of your customers. At Cincinnati Public Schools, I had this thing on the wall that was, you know, your employees are your brand. Mm -hmm. and, and you don't choose a school because you like the facade or the name of the school or... I don't even think people choose the school for test results or that kind of thing. They, they choose the school they're going to put their kid in because they like that teacher had a great experience with that principal. Their friends had a great experience yeah. there and that kids were able to do something coming out of the school. And so if you take, in the case of education, teachers are the most important determinant of student success. Mm -hmm. Principals are the most important determinant of teacher success. Mm -hmm. And administrators, which I've, one I was, was yep. then how can I support the principal to support his, his or her team in the school? Right on. And so when you break it down like that, and if you keep people at the heart of what you do, then you're going to be excellent. Because if nothing else, you know, not that we all shall feel good and have a great day, but if you do feel good and you do feel motivated, you are going to do that extra thing for someone. Yeah, yeah, you're going to do great work. Yeah, regardless of what you're going to do. And yeah. someone's going to notice it, and then they're going to offer you a job at NASA. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's how it works. That's how I think oh, that's super. how it works. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> According to Charlie's story. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, how do you then, again, we're just sort of like ticking the boxes. How do you transition then from the one, from there to the one organization? Yeah. Well, sadly, um, when you have a job, like many of the jobs I've had that are political service, you are often thanked for your service at the end of your elect officials term. And thank you for your service to your country. And okay. you move on. And so. We're cleaning house. Uh, that's how it works. We need and, new blood. Um, yep. That's, you know, whoever's, whomever's in power. Um and I've always had jobs like that. So that doesn't, hmm. I don't have fear yeah, yeah. of that because I don't know any You know better. it's coming. You don't take don't it personal. It's not personal. It's, it's yep. politics. It's business. It's just how uh, sometimes it's symbolic and right. sometimes it's you're not working out or sometimes it's a relief. It, yeah, it can yeah. be any of those sure. things. But in my case, coming up, um, knowing the 2016 election, there would be a change in administration. I would not get the opportunity to work for President Obama anymore right. and, and, and Charlie's NASA administrator. The One campaign had this amazing position, and I always want to work at One. First of all, I love you two. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm, you know, of of the generation of of, of people who, yeah. you know, got to experience what U2 was. If I ask kids down the street now, U2, they would think it's some kind of emoji something. No, I was I was there with you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So yeah. it was a great time to be alive. Yeah. Um, but um, also imagine then having access to all the wealth, all the fame in the world. And deciding what you would do with it is work on ways that benefit the people who live on $2 or less every day. Yeah. And what, what I didn't know at the time, but I grew to learn, was that, you know, Bono was the co-founder. And you could be like, oh, he just pumped his face yeah, his name just, on something. It's it. one because they wrote a song about it. He was present in that organization every day. Hmm. And... He came into our office twice while I, in the year and a half that I worked there. You're in D.C. In then DC, as well? yeah. Okay. Um, once he, he provided testimony in front of a congressional delegation, he had just gone to four or five um, refugee camps with uh, Senator Lindsey Graham. Mm -hmm. And so he was there to speak about what was going on in the refugee camps. And um, what was remarkable was how deeply he knew his subject matter to the point where he could correct PhDs and not in a offensive way, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. because he knew it so well. I'm, yeah. I'm convinced he's otherworldly. I'm convinced that people like Bono are, are, are Bill Gates and, you know, Sheryl Sandberg and Brene Baer and those people operate in a different realm than we do because he was so present and so loving and so wonderful and so creative. We know his, his art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then also his ability to seek and understand foreign policy was just remarkable and it made you I think some people might see people like Bono or astronauts or elected officials and and doubt them mm -hmm. and I've always had kind of more of like what's something I can learn from them you know working at the space agency 
everyone was like, when are you going to get your pilot's license? When are you going to, when are you going to scuba dive? You know? And so I got my scuba diving. I climbed. Because it was just in the culture? It was in the culture, this yeah, exploration. Yeah. I mean, everyone's in the gym and they were doing these weird workout things cool. there. And I think it was, they were testing themselves. I really <laughs> honestly, I really honestly think they were running a little test. That's tests. amazing though. Like to the idea that that's in the DNA of the organization. Yeah. That's a, that's a, you know, such a huge organization that yeah. that actually filters I, I don't down. Know. I wish I could, you know, pinpoint why, but I think it starts with people really loving what they do. Right. Um, and then sharing that love. Mm. And being comfortable sharing that. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, there's no one who works hard and plays harder than Bono, right? Yeah. I mean, he certainly has a lot of fun. He's certainly very focused. Um, and and not in a prima donna way, but in a, I, if the more I can understand this, the more change I can mm-hmm. bring. And that's the gift I've been given. And I read in a book somewhere that at one point he wanted, right when the first album was hitting big Mm -hmm. they were like should we be rock stars or not and (laughs) and his manager's like i promised all these people you would do shows so yes you're going to be rock stars right but that kind of you see it throughout their music this this push and so that's why i wanted to join that organization it's an amazing organization people leave and go work at the un Mm -hmm. or they leave and then go work um in sub-saharan africa somewhere it's got a great network of alumni right um that i'm grateful to be part of now because um, Procter & Gamble does a lot of work on gender equality, diversity, mm-hmm. inclusion, girls in education, and that's yep. a big stuff that the One Campaign does. So nice. I just saw so much alignment between that. I would never anticipated that, though. I would If right. I had planned it... You wouldn't I, put those two organizations would never, together normally. You would never have thought right, right. space, global nonprofit, global brand company, but yet, and yet they all work together. In that way. And that me. gets us back to that question about the commonality of. Yeah. I, uh, sometimes on the show, I talk to people. The the uh, episode right before yours is with Colin Norrie, who's an industrial designer. And we ended up talking about sort of one of my themes, which is that I think there are sort of people who are, who grow up believing that their ideas can become physical realities in mm. the world. And there are people who don't. And in the same way, I think there are people who become, who grow up or have this knowledge that their ideas can make an impact in the world. Like Bono. Yeah. Because there's a fundamental belief there that I can actually change something. Mm-hmm. And certainly that probably is aided and abetted by global fame. Yeah. Oh, certainly. People are listening to me. But it also is a fundamental, like, I don't think you start off with the assumption that you want to talk to people on that level if you don't believe that you have something to say. Mm-hmm. But, but the reason I bring that up is because part of what it sounds like you're telling me is that that, that, that filters through the organization yeah. to other people see that as an example and then say, no, I can actually make a difference. I'm working for this person who's making a difference mm-hmm. and I'm not going to get jaded and I'm not going to give up, but yeah. I'm going to continue to work Relentlessly for Relentlessly optimistic. Relentlessly yeah. optimistic. And that is, I see that. I, mm. I saw that, you know, from when I could see his interviews or, and, and then just meeting him the one or two times, I was like, oh my gosh, he's like that in real life too. Yeah, there's a force field. Yeah, and, yeah. and, uh, and I mean that in a good way, yeah, like an aura. To- or like, to- totally is. Yeah. And um, again, that gets us back to the metaphysical, right? That the, the universe and some people, you know, call that God and some people say, oh, it's science. It doesn't make any difference yeah. to me what people call it. I really believe, you know, at, there's a verse of scripture that was my dad's favorite and um, it's to whom much is given much is required mm-hmm. and I have that actually tattooed on my arm mm-hmm. you can't say it today because it's the coldest day of the year I think <laughs> when we're recording this podcast that's why I sound all stuffed up it's because it's, it's like 15 degrees 15 outside, degrees outside. Yeah. Um, it's the temperature of Mars out there right now <laughs> um, but um, I really do believe that those of us who've been given gifts have an obligation to, sh- to share them. And we never know what that might unlock in someone else. Um, so maybe that consistent theme is optimism. I'm mm. going to be thinking about this now for weeks, That's by great. the way. Like, what you got to get back to me. Let me know how I'll it, let you know. I'll do some thinking. I'll do some meditation. Do you ever struggle with imposter syndrome? Yeah, I think everybody does. But, I mean, I don't hear that. Like, yeah. nothing that you've said so far in our conversation has led me to believe. I, I, I asked you that thinking yeah. you might be the one person who says... No, because I've been surprised in 50 conversations that the people with the most linear career paths Mm -hmm. that said when they were six, I want to do this, and now they're 45 and they're doing exactly that, still struggle with that. I think we all do. I think we all do. And I think, I think, um, I think we have to fight against 
those feelings of inferiority all the time. How did you do that? Because I would imagine that at NASA, when you step into that job... I just don't know better. I just didn't know any better. <laughs> I'm Appalachian, you know. I'm, I'm from the country where everyone knows you. And, you know, like growing up, in my town, 1,700 people, right? Mm-hmm. Walnut Hills High School is 3,200 kids. Yeah. Right? It's twice the size of the hometown I grew up in. I always call the principal of Walnut Hills High School the mayor. <laughs> His town is bigger than my town right, that I grew up right. in. And... Yeah, this is this will be the only political part of the podcast here, Brandon. But you know, this was the exception I took to J.D. Vance's hillbilly elegy because I felt that he made Appalachians sound like we don't take care of our own. And mm-hmm. in fact, I would credit every ounce of every success I've had in my life to everybody in my town. Hmm. Like, I got a, I got a, an award here last year and my librarian came with my mom, my <laughs> the librarian from my hometown who was just as excited for me as like an yeah, aunt yeah. would have been, right? Aww. And and the barber in our hometown used to call me and my brother the, the governor and the general. I love I mean, that. Because I mean, my brother was always wanted to pursue a military career, which he did. And I always wanted to be, I mean, this is his children. He right. called us the governor and the general. But I never, it. never... You know, I'd go to the library. They would give me a new book to read. My teachers would say, you should learn more about this person. I never, I don't recall. And maybe it's just a Pollyanna looking back on life thing. And maybe I'm just completely, utterly blessed. But I don't recall there being a time when someone said to me, you can't do something. Right on. And I'm, sh- I'm confident they qualified it at times. Like, you're going to have to work really hard if you want to mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to have to study hard if you want to do that. Or you're going to have to... If you want to go to Harvard, you're going to have to save every penny, you know, right. the kind of thing. But, you know, and I get, I worry about people who, who fixate on someone at some point in my life told me I couldn't. Mm-hmm. As, I, I don't even, maybe someone did that to me at some point, but I don't remember that person. And maybe they remember saying it to me, but I don't, they were so <laughs> inconsequential did, you shut to it me. Out. If they were so inconsequential to me, I've, I guess I maybe only heard the people... And so I recognize that that is a blessing mm-hmm. because maybe for real, I just go through life being someone where literally every person right. was like, you can Which do this. Which not everybody gets, yeah. And so I'm grateful for that. But but also, I, I, I really do believe that. We all struggle with, am I good enough? Can I do this? That type of thing. And that's, again, you got to create the environment around you that... You, you should have supportive people around you. And I'm lucky, you know, my partner's been a guest on this show before. Yeah. I have someone who he probably believes in me even more than I believe in myself. Um, and if you have people around you who can reflect that, hold that mirror up to you and say, here's what you can do with that energy, or mm-hmm. by the way, help you and say, you might be barking up the wrong Right. tree here. You know, You're like great, my, but you like, may not be great at this. Yeah, like my yeah. anatomy teacher who was like, maybe you should look at journalism, you know? <laughs> hey, I didn't take that as... A, you know, some people might reflect back and say, I remember my, journal, my anatomy teacher saying, you can't be a doctor. That is not what he said. Yeah. He said, you have... I see you have... But, uh, you know, it's interesting you said, so optimism maybe is the thing that comes through. I think that influences how you hear those yeah. those voices. Yeah. A less optimistic frame of mind hears that in a different and way okay and says it's it, about me. Yeah, you can hear that in a negative voice, too, if, that, yeah. is that, if that's empowering. Mm-hmm. I don't find that to be empowering. And working yeah. with kids as much as I have the opportunity to work with kids is I, I, I can never in a million years imagine telling a kid that they couldn't do something. Yeah. I, I'm going to be real with them and say, mm-hmm. also, you were an hour late for this thing today. And professional athletes are an hour early. Right. The best, the guys you've heard of, <laughs> stick around an extra hour to right. practice. Kobe. First right? there and Michael Jordan, last to leave. Yeah, yeah, LeBron are not lazy. Yeah. Um, and so y- you got to go what you want to. And, and I'll get, I have so many people ask me for advice because social media does something to us, I think, too, that makes us think that everyone else's life is idyllic mm-hmm. and perfect mm-hmm. and all those things. Yeah. And I know someone said to me once, you know, worldly, even rock stars have to do their laundry, you know, and they were teasing me because my, you know, traveling all over the world stuff. I'm like, I absolutely have to do my laundry. Like, yeah. sometime life has to slow down and you have to take care of yourself. But like, um, people reach out to me for advice and I always, Encourage them to get back to basics. Get back to basics. Don't project what you think other people think you... I mean, should I start a business or go get my MBA? And I say, neither. <laughs> neither <laughs> of those things sound very good to me. I, mean, I wouldn't spend my time doing that. Um, but, but what I always say to them is, like, you, you cannot hear the voices you need to hear or, or that voice you need to hear if it's, if it's noisy. Mm-hmm. And so you got to slow down to speed up. Um, reflection's important. 
create, and I know that's hard for working moms or those type of people, but find a way to find that time. And I think employers are becoming more and more cognizant mm-hmm. that people need that, whether it's working at home or flex time yeah. or however they're creating workplaces that allow for that. And take advantage of it when it's offered. Take Don't think it's going to make it you look offered. less, you know. You know, one, you know, my dad's been passed away for 10 years. No one knows how many vacation days he took, mm-hmm. which was none. Yeah. Right? No one's asking that question. Or, by the way, judging him for the number of, you know, the week he took off when my brother and I had the chicken pox, which I remember vividly spending that week with my dad. Right. Not the least of which is he made me do my science fair project while I had the chicken pox. <laughs> I was the only I got first place in the science fair, but I was the only kid that had with the, the scars. With the scars. With the chicken pox my, scars. Um, but the corporate athlete concept, too, is really important to me. And, and training, I'll often say to people who are trying to make a decision about what they want to do, if you want to read the book or just imagine what it must be like to be a professional athlete. Mm. And Michael Phelps jumps in that pool. He is thinking of nothing but his breath and his, and his, his, his swimming. He's not worried about his endorsement deals or I hope, I mean, he couldn't because you cannot be a champion yeah, that yeah. way. That gets back to the all in. You have to allow yourself to be in that moment and that's what's going to gal- galvanize. That's your internal compass that's going to help you make good decisions about your personal life, about what you eat. Mm. You know, we eat junk food because we're in a hurry. Right. If you're given the choice, well, I like a good filet o fish. Okay, so <laughs> given the choice, I might eat a filet o fish sandwich regardless. But, but most choice, if you had the opportunity to fix good food for yourself, you're probably going to eat that. Mm-hmm. So we make choices that are bad for us because we rush our decision making. And I think that's what then gets us into the imposter syndrome. When we think we're imposter, imposters, we aren't listening to that internal compass. And I think imposter syndrome is, is more about, if we unpacked it, more about I'm not listening to my gut. I'm listening to someone else's gut. Right, right, right. And so you ask me, do you have, of course I have it. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, am I going to be able to be a spokesperson for the school district? Am I going to be able to stand on camera and talk about this? Am I going to be able to go to, you know, the the West Bank of, in Palestine and represent the United States government in the best way that the embassy folks briefed me on a conference call about two weeks ago? Right. Am I going to remember that now? Right. But... But if you follow that little internal, that Jiminy Cricket inside of us, I, I really, I think it's that simple. Hmm. I would encourage people to consider that and then tell me if it doesn't work. <laughs> we'll get some feedback. We'll let you know. Yeah, let me know when everyone, when everyone writes in and says, she's really full of it. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It worked for me. So you're, you're in D.C. for NASA. You're mm-hmm. in D.C. for the One campaign. Mm-hmm. And then... The One Campaign. We talked about how the NASA job ends. Mm-hmm. How does the One Campaign job turn into the uh, Cincinnati Public Schools? Well, you know, I really felt after 20, and I don't want to be political about this because it's bigger than that. We are at such a moment in social media, in our political environment, in in how we are with one another as a society, that I felt really confronted by the question, what do I want to do? And for me, I wasn't sure that working at a nonprofit in D.C. was was cutting it for me. But I couldn't be sure. I couldn't be sure because but I was busy every day. Yeah, I mean, that's... But you're... When you're busy, you feel important. Yeah, but you're also doing, like, the, you know, the Lord's work. You're, well, like, you're yeah, working course, on poverty course, and preventable disease, but and yet and yet in your mind there's this idea that somehow that's but not am cutting I doing, you. But am I doing my part? Okay. You know, am, I, am I maximizing... Is this back to sort of you're furthering somebody else's vision versus you're doing the thing yeah, that you can... and I just couldn't be sure, and I couldn't, okay. I couldn't be sure if it was noisy. And when mm. you're working, it's noisy. So mm-hmm. I just really realized that social media was too noisy for me. It is too hard to get away from it. DC is a culture all in of its own, too. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's very sure. competitive, very type. I mean, you could, if you want to compete in anything, oh. ka- karaoke, bocce ball, softball, I mean, you it's name the it, most there is a competitive people in the yeah. nation. I mean, all even in the one. type B people are type A. Yeah. Like you cannot, your bartenders have master's degrees, right? I mean, <laughs> you, you can't go anywhere. It's always funny when people come out of town and they kind of talk down to the bartender. I'm like, he's working on his PhD. And, and, you know, global politics and, you know, knows more about data analysis yeah. than any of you will ever. Um, so it's that kind of town. So I just felt I needed a, a break. And, but I didn't want to just check out, you know, I wanted to do something that could help me find the quiet. And so that's what Navajo land was for me. To my, I'm not an expert on Native Americans and their history, but to my knowledge, um, the Navajo are the only tribe that was able to reclaim their land, mm-hmm. their their uh, homeland from the United States government. 
so it's very sacred land and you can feel that there uh, while you're there and I wanted to feel that energy and to feel that hot temperature and to feel just um, what that must feel like to have generations of history and generations of oppression mm-hmm. and continually working out of it I mean I encourage anyone to go see an Indian reservation and ask yourself tough questions while you're there. People with no water, people with little power, um, uh, you know, and and also sadly, most of the kids don't know Navajo. It's a difficult language to learn, but also it's just, it's, and we did that. Yep. And so we own, we owe something for Mm -hmm. that. And that became very real for me, but also happiness, also family unit, also, um, and the Navajo have a very interesting relationship with good and bad. You can't have dark without the light. Mm-hmm. Probably, I don't know what that's, maybe a hobbit or something, I don't know. But, but they really believe in that intrinsic connection. Mm-hmm. European culture, we tend to believe you've got to stay away from the dark. You've got to stay yeah, away right. from the bad. And they have right. a little bit more balanced view on what's good and bad. So they go together somehow. Yeah. And yep. so, which leads me to believe I can eat this whole pastry right now and not feel bad about myself <laughs> but you but got also, the good too because this is good um but but um it gave me that time to say and and so what it gave me the clarity to say was where do i think i can contribute the most and still be my authentic self should I go back to school? Should I do those things? And again, I had the luxury of being able to do that. Not everyone has that time. But on my last day there, I really thought I'd have some big epiphany. You know, I thought I would have like a bolt of lightning would come down and, yeah. you know, I would have some, just like a, you know, some show you see. But I didn't. Um, and I was packing up the last day, getting ready to go. And a woman said, well, did you, you know, did you find what you were looking for? And I was like, yeah. I mean, uh, and uh, she said, now where, where's your tribe? I said, oh, oh, you know, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not native, you know, mm-hmm. I'm an, I'm an in-law, and uh, that's what they call white people out there, in-law. In-law food is like hamburgers and pizza and stuff. I yeah, love it. So yeah, yeah. Um, and she's like, no, no, I mean, <laughs> where's your people? Right, right, right. And for me, it was like, she's like, if you find your people, you'll find your purpose. And she probably watched Oprah that morning <laughs> or like Dr. <laughs> Phil or something. I mean, she didn't say it like in a, you know, but. In the dramatic telling of the story, Brandon, she's like, if you sure. find your people, you'll find your purpose. And then she was gone. This guy and I never saw again. I never saw again. Reverberated. And yeah. I thought about that and that long trip back from Arizona to Ohio. And my family's from this area. My college roommates I mentioned, you know, Kevin and Chris, good friends, live here in Cincinnati. And I, I, uh, that creative morning's talk was, was a good thing. And I'm like, wow, there's a, re- there's a really good history of Cincinnati. Like, mm. you know, we have a tendency to be like, I'm going to find my living on the coast, but mm-hmm. maybe Midwest really is best. And so about Arkansas, it might've been the humidity hitting again. I don't know, but I, <laughs> I call my mom and I said, I, I'm going to move to Cincinnati. Wow. And she's like, great. Well, we'll be ready for you when Super, you get here. We're Super, here. we're here. Um, and so I had no idea what I was going to do. I, I really had no, but then I know G Aviation was here. I knew Procter & Gamble was here. I knew uh, you know, all, all these great companies, like there will be something there for me. I'm not going to worry. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to, again, you cannot accept a gift. If your hands are full or your right. hands are clenched. Right, right, if right. You, you know, what that is that? So at every meeting I had with someone saying, hey, I'm moving back here and here's my experience and I want to, you know, do something. Um, everyone kept saying, Cincinnati Public Schools is hiring someone. I mean, every meeting I had, they're hiring a communications person. And of course, I could only think of all the things that can go wrong in schools. When, yeah. when, I, I mean, I, I kind of laughed. I, I kind of ignored it. I was just, just, and then finally, someone, you know, just like just apply, just do it. And I couldn't say no. And so I did. And I met our superintendent. And I have never. I've worked with some amazing people, and I've told her this, and I sincerely mean it. I've worked for Bono. I've worked for the president. I've worked for the governor. I've worked mm-hmm. for all these people. She is one of the first people I've ever met who could so vividly articulate a vision Hmm. of where we were, but where we could be. And here's how you're going to help me get there if you come work with me. I was on the phone with her for 10 minutes on a Monday morning at 8 a.m. I had to set three alarms. I've been on on sabbatical. I hadn't been, you know, (laughs) sit up for a little bit so you don't sound like you're asleep, you know. And I got off the phone with her and I was like, how do I get this job? Who do I have to call? And I do think for many of, not all jobs give us the opportunity to be inspired. We don't all have the fortune of, of having a job that 
that would be a calling or a passion for us. School teaching is, is a clearly a passion and a calling, but maybe for some people selling insurance is not. It's what that money and what that time allows you to do. Right. Is, is perhaps that's the more important thing. And I would, I would, I always like to think about that. Um, but yeah, she was, it was just incredible. I mean, I learned- What's her more, name? Uh, Laura Mitchell. Okay. And she's homegrown. She grew up in Bond Hill. She graduated from school, career performing arts. She's full packed. She's a, she, she will be secretary of education someday. <laughs> she could if she wants to, but she likes Cincinnati. And so we are so lucky to have people like that here. I would never would have, um, I never would have seen that coming. Yeah. And she helped me up my game. Mm-hmm. Um, she believed in me. She always gave me the resources I needed. And she gave me a safe place to be myself. And right we could only be ourselves. And, and I, you know, uh, thank goodness I've always had a place where I can be, I mean, I don't roll into my pajama pants. I'm not that authentic. But, but I could, you know, speak up when I think yeah, something's yeah. not working or, or get comfortable with people. And I think that's, if we can have that at work, that's remarkable. And sometimes that means creating our own space for ourselves. That might mean starting your own thing. Right, right. Um, or your own podcast or something. Well, so let's talk about the transition that was, you know, if I'm looking at the dates, roughly three years. Mm-hmm. And then there's another transition. And, yeah. you, you know, are the questions the same in that transition as you, as you look at this, the end of that period and the beginning of this new role? Mm-hmm. What's different about that from transitions in the past and I what's was, the same? I was so surprised at how the issues that I cared about in terms of um, caring about our planet as we did at NASA mm-hmm. and caring about people as we did at One were carried through in a global corporation. I didn't anticipate that. Mm-hmm. I really didn't. And you know, the older we get, and depending on our life circumstances, we have to make decisions about where we're working, sometimes for a financial reason. I'm sure yep. there are people who listen to your podcast who are like, well, I'd love to start my writing career, but I have to, sure. I'm driving a truck right now or something. Yep. Um, but, but there's a way to, to find, to unlock your passion. For me, that it was the full package of, again, challenging myself too. Okay. I love a good challenge. I love a good challenge. I cannot resist a challenge. When someone says, oh, you'll, that person will never do that for you. I'm like, oh, I'm going to make them my best friend. I can't, I cannot turn, I cannot, I, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro with like two months notice, which wow. is not the smartest thing I've ever done, by the way. But I could not, I couldn't walk away from my friend saying, we've got one more spot left in the group. Right on. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Can't, this is like, when someone says something like that to you, you say, here's my credit card. Uh-huh. And I've never climbed a mountain before, <laughs> or anything for that matter. I mean, Smoky Mountains does not count. So isn't that not real mountains? It is not real mountains. So what's the challenge? What is the challenge in this role uh, that, that you're excited to take? Personal on? growth. Okay. Um, never worked for a corporation before. Not not let alone a corporation where you know there are eight billion people on the earth, and five billion of them bought a one of our products last year. Yep. That means you have a lot of responsibility mm-hmm. too, and in terms of environmental stewardship, in terms of the the leadership you can bring to the corporate world, um, it's a whole new language. It's mm-hmm. a whole new. I mean, NASA was a whole new language. That was like getting into Tolkien's mind or something. Right, right, right. Inventing <laughs> a language. But this is a whole vocabulary. This is a whole new vocabulary. Whole yep. new challenges. But the the consistent themes are the same. How do you how do you get to know people at work? Mm-hmm. How do you create partnerships? I love Harry Potter. Harry Potter's one of my. Anytime anyone tells me they haven't read or watched Harry Potter. I get a look on my face, I think, and then and then I say, give it a shot. Just watch, because the movies yeah. are just as remarkable as the books, so I'm not expecting you to read all of that. But there's so many things that happen in Harry Potter that it just, J.K. Rowling is just an absolute brilliant genius. And, and you know, Dumbledore's Army was one of those things. So mm-hmm. Dumbledore's Army, for those who have, for somehow not read the books or movies, like my partner Tommy. Um, Tommy's, Tommy, Tommy's not a Harry yeah, Potter fan? He's not. He is now. Okay, all right. He's also a Hobbit fan now and yeah, a Star yeah, Wars yeah. fan now because those are all things that I Those love. are my big three. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're yeah. Joseph Campbell fans. That's why. But it's our intellectual um, hero's journey. Yeah, That's yeah. a whole other podcast series. But again, um, Dumbledore's Army was the people. They were 
Harry and Hermione and Ron, and they trained themselves on wizard spells because Dumbledore was unavailable, mm-hmm. and they had to stand up for what Dumbledore believed in. Yeah, there's and proxies. It, there's proxies. And yeah. so there's always those people in an organization uh, who who are those people you can lean on, who, who are like you, um, who are your tribe, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I always like seeking those people out because those are people who are optimists and believe in the possible, too. And that creates the environment. So that becomes your bubble. Those are your people. So you don't have to be, you know, if Sally, who sits by the copier, always makes snide remarks, okay, let Sally, who sits by the copier, make snide remarks. That's Sally's environment she wants to live in. Mm-hmm. I don't choose to live in that world. Right. And I've learned enough through working in NASA, you can choose. There's plenty of worlds out there. Yeah, there yeah. are plenty of planets. So you can choose the environment, and you can, and you can make that choice to be optimistic, to do what you think is right. And you can do it in a way that brings people to your side and creates, creates a team. I think that's a big, I'm thinking about, I've worked in a lot of corporate environments. I've worked in some that were good and healthy and some that were toxic. And I think there's always that choice that you make about, are you, is the, is the tribe that you're going to align yourself with the tribe that's going to make the place better, still cognizant of its Mm -hmm. shortcomings, or the tribe that's going to sit back and talk about all the reasons we couldn't possibly make the place better because it's toxic. And that's an important decision to make, and a decision that if you don't make it consciously gets made sort of for you and generally not for the better. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. What, you know, in all of this story, and there's, uh, I know these guys are, are closing up and they've been kind enough to let us in right before they close <laughs> for the day, so we should probably wrap up. The one thing that comes to my mind is like, when are you going to run for office? Ah! <laughs> I, did, I ran for class president. That can't president. be the first time that you've ever been asked that either. <laughs> Wow, that was very flattering. Thank you. Um, well, I am on the ballot right now. I'm running for my precinct committee woman. There's 406 people in Northside. I think I may have gotten me. a letter about yeah, that. Yes, you did. You live my I neighbor. Did, did. My neighbor. Yes. Um, so, yes. And my, the my partner, there it is, I guess. Um, you know, this is a difficult time for people who want to run for office. My brother is actually an elected official. When he got out of the Army, um, he did seven years in the United States Army. He was a commissioned officer. He was in the 101st Airborne. He earned three bronze stars, one with valor for his time in Iraq and Afghanistan. And when he got out of infantry, he wanted to run for office. Mm-hmm. Being his big sister, of course, I wanted him to run for Congress. I was yeah. like, we need, the Congress needs more veterans. Regardless of the political views, they need people who've, who've experienced that so that we can that have that insight. Yeah, people that have been there. People have been there. And um, he ran for county commissioner, which is very local. I mean, there's nothing more local than being county commissioner. It's where the rubber meets the road. I mean, you're constantly, everything from dog warden to, you know, social services to goes, Rose being paid. I mean, it desk. goes across your desk. Yeah. And um, it was such an awesome campaign to be part of because he really did want to work on things like broadband and um, educational opportunities in our hometown. I mean, that's just terrific. And so um, working with Tommy, you know, we, I mean, he truly is my soulmate because we're very much focused on, you know, community is Tommy's theme for happiness, community's not where you live, it's how you live with other people. Hmm. Um, I couldn't believe that anymore. Like, I, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. And if you're listening to this and you haven't listened to, I don't have the episode episode 46 or something, yeah, 43 with Tommy Roof, you need to listen to it because the stories definitely dovetail. You can tell, like, that we were two people who, you know, saw the world, see the world so similarly and yet you know, looked for each other a long time. So right. that, that we can do, a, that's a Valentine's special right there. <laughs> it is, but, but it is Valentine's Day when but, we're recording but, this. But, you know, politics is absolutely a way to make the impossible possible. What's frustrating about politics for most people is it's incredibly slow process yeah. because that's what democracy is. And unfortunately, many times politics is co-opted by people who want to do things for themselves yeah. and forget to put people first. And if good people of good conscience don't run for office, we will cede our our leadership to people who are not there for the right reasons. And so good people have to stand up. That's hard to do in the social media world. Mm-hmm. The the era of everything you've ever said is now online. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, yeah. think of all the bonehead things, all the silly pictures from college and high school. Thank goodness social media wasn't a thing when we were kids, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> So I really feel that for the kids today, but I think I definitely think politics is a way to get involved. And but I also think there's so many levers that whether it's you know the book club at work, or you know pitching in to do um, you know the brownies for a PTO bake sale. We all kind of have this is this is it. This is who we have. We're in this. We are in this boat together. So yeah, we yeah. can decide to love all the people on our boat, or we can decide to do nothing with all the people on our boat. 
I choose the former. Yeah. No, that's great. I mean, coming back to that that first question and your answer about optimism being the the common thread that definitely comes through yeah. in the work that you do, and I think it's important. I'm thinking I'm in a place in my own life where I'm looking at a lot of transitions and holding on to optimism as a uh, as a common thread and as a, yeah. a mandatory through those is a really helpful way. Well, if you need directions to the uh, McDonald's in Navajo land, I spent a lot of time there getting on, (laughs) because it was the only place you could get Wi-Fi while you were there. And uh, you you had to order something (laughs) to sit at the McDonald's. So so that's why I joke about Filet-O-Fish, because the number of Filet-O-Fish sandwiches I probably had while I was there. Uh, I thought I'd lose weight on my sabbatical. I didn't, because I I had to keep ordering food. Yeah, like, who is this in-law who keeps, like, (laughs) ordering Filet-O-Fish sandwiches to use the Wi-Fi? Um, But... Find that quiet place if you can, mm-hmm. and and you will find no one more relentlessly positive than Tommy. I mean, he puts my optimism like uh, like I'm the grumpiest person alive. He believes in people so, so much, even when the world is like handed everybody just the worst. And if we could all just give ourselves, ourselves, back to your question about imposter syndrome, give ourselves the benefit of that yeah, doubt, yeah. you know, um, and then give other people that, that grace and mercy as well. We could just be, we could be that much, we could be that much better. We could reach the stars, man, and we could, <laughs> we could, we could launch rockets. We could, we could, you know, cure AIDS. We could um, have Dawn dishwashing liquid in every single sink in the world. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Laura, thank you. This is it's been wonderful. I uh, your journey is amazing and being able to talk to you about it has been as amazing as I'd hoped. Thanks for sharing your your time thank and your you experience. Thank you so much for inviting me. This episode of The Distiller was recorded live at Cherbourg Cypress Bakery, 1804 Race Street in Cincinnati, Ohio. Cherbourg is an entirely delicious, unbelievably gluten, nut and dye-free bakery in the heart of Cincinnati's historic Finley Market. Thanks to the staff of Cherbourg for letting us camp out for a little while. If you live in Cincinnati and you haven't been to Cherbourg Bakery, whether you are gluten-free or nut-free or not, it should be at the top of your list. From authentic and delicious pastries to breads and cakes, donuts, and other equally sinful delicacies, Cherbourg will make you forget about what's not in it. And please do be sure to say you heard it on the distiller when you stop by. Massive thanks to my guest Lauren Worley for sharing her story with us as she embarks on her new path at P&G. Lauren's journey, if you read between the lines a little, has been unpredictable, and for every huge up, there's been sort of a cliff on both sides, and I sincerely appreciate her willingness to walk us through, and I look forward to seeing what she does in the future. You can find a link to Lauren's LinkedIn profile on our website, as well as links to her Creative Mornings talk and some other articles about her work throughout the years. Thank you so much, Lauren. The Distiller is produced, recorded, and hosted by me, Brandon Dawson. Our show is mixed by Justin Golden. Our logo was designed by Scott Ryan, and our videos are by Mike Helm of Minute Moments Pictures. You can find The Distiller wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Listen and download every episode, though, at thedistillerpodcast.com as well, where you'll find links, photos of the guests, and a map of all our show locations. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell somebody about it. Follow, like, and share our posts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And please do rate and review The Distiller wherever you listen. And if you want to help us make more of these episodes, just click that Become a Patron button on our website for more information about how you can help support the show. Until next time, I'm Brandon Dawson. Thank you for listening to The Distiller. Bye-bye.